0: For those of you who have not uh, seen a live stream yet, kind of our format as we talk about a little bit of beer or in-house brewery genus news, and then we go into our Beer of the Week, and then we finish out with one or two discussion topics, and finally, I guess we wouldn't have finished out with the discussion topics, because after that we have Q&A. So if you've seen the title, you already know that today's uh, topic is all about mashing and mashing techniques. Hopefully you can get some good information to make your next mash go smoothier, much more smoothlier.
1: Much better smoothier. Super smoothier. Yeah. Um, smoothlier like, uh,
0: like a smoothie
1: IPA smooth.
0: Like a baby's <laughs> smoothie IPA. Uh, oh, God.
1: I hope those don't become a thing, honestly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Baby food smoothie All IPAs. Right.
1: Look at that. All right. So we got 50 of you watching, so uh, let's go ahead and uh, get started. Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, some genus news this week. Uh, just a few kind of, I guess... Basic beer stuff, really. Yeah, um, we uh,
0: did a collab beer. That's our second, third in a row collab beer with Alex Rauch of Four Eyed Guys. That is taken off today. It's in the Fermenter. It's going to be a delightful, summery, refreshing beer.
1: So, yeah, kind of uh, from what I saw yesterday, you guys were kind of throwing a sort of West Coast pop bill at it, but then I think you hit it with some Quike yeast, right? Does yeah, Quike yeast, right?
0: and we also used a little bit of uh, fruit juice concentrate, so ah, the idea right. behind that is yeah, that was the yeah, <laughs> the get a nice, subtly, <laughs> fruity, bright beer, and then we also are going to probably take some of that and shandy it. Uh, uh, by which we mean add some lemonade to it yeah, and get it nice and carbonated.
1: Yeah, they threw me off. They like brought up a sample of the wort, and I'm like, why does this smell like limes?
0: <laughs> Fruit juice. So, it is really cool. Uh,
1: yeah, so that one's gonna be a really fun one. I'm actually excited to see how that turns out, since we're kind of uh, blending like you know three different beer styles in one. Yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, like you all kind of uh, said, because you gave us the likes on the two barrel uni tank video, uh, we now have a second uni Thanks yeah. for that. Uh, we are now in debt. So you're
0: you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, world. Now we get to make more beer.
1: It will it will be good in the long run. <laughs> our our accountant isn't so happy with us, but
0: hey, we got you know we got one of our bright tanks gone, and uh, we're gonna have another. <laughs> One of our uh, fermenters gone, or one barrel fermenters gone, so it'll all be good.
1: Yep. Also, on the uh, downturn, Peter broke our hop freezer, so now we have all of our hops thrown in our walk-in, in a complete uh, <clears throat> array of disorganization, so...
0: Yeah, apparently I broke it by lo- and shoving a mallet at the fan a bunch of times, and uh, <laughs> totally doing the, the right thing for maintenance.
1: <laughs> nah, it's, a, it's an old freezer. Luckily, it was just our, our fan motor that went out, which, yeah. yeah, we got one ordered yesterday, so, oh yeah. High, right. uh, uh, <laughs> high elbow. High elbow. We gotta, yeah. Can't do that anymore. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll get that sorted out by crossing my fingers next week. Side weekend.
0: note, if any of you guys know a uh, really good source for stand-up freezers or have an extra one lying around, there feel free go. to hit us up.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially all you in, like, New Zealand <laughs> and uh, Europe. And, yeah, <laughs> just send it right over. We'll, we'll take it from you.
0: And, yes, this is moonshine I'm drinking. It's going
1: to be a wild morning. Uh also for new beers that we put on tap we have a couple of absolutely delicious ones. Really delicious. Um a 10% 10.8 I think um percent imperial IPA super just been super going smooth. hard with those big beers you know um, just trying
0: to push them out. <laughs>
1: And then uh, we finally tapped the uh, the IPK is, I guess, what we're calling it, the India Pale Kohl's. Yeah, sort of. so
0: Kohl's based, not too much uh, different from a regular West Coast IPA, other than the fact that we use a little bit of corn in the mash. Uh, but we did use those classic kind of like sauce derivative New Zealand hops, which gives it yeah. just a beautiful fruitiness with a citrus tone. It's gorgeous.
1: Yep, so perfect summer beer if you're uh, looking to kind of like tone down your your uh, your hazy and, and do something that's a little more sessionable. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we got Wib6 up finally. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know all of you guys, all, all 2,000 of you that have watched it so far, I've been waiting for it.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and we, yeah, did a random video of just general tips on how to improve your brewing practices, which for some reason is exploding and, you know.
0: Yeah, we've got some controversial tips <laughs> uh, uh, T- comments in the in the comment section below that too a lot of people are like ah, i disagree with you which no. by the well, way that's our right. philosophy is it's always cool to disagree we <laughs> like that everyone makes beer differently i think that's what makes beer so great for everybody so uh yeah there's no, no always there.
1: there's always more than one way to do things absolutely all right that's um, it for our
0: genus news so now it's time for our beer of, of the, the week, week. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, beer of, of the, the week, week. Bum,
1: all right, and uh, I guess we're kind of recapping one we did a little while ago, but uh, doing a different take on it, and that is going to be uh, an American Amber Ale.
0: Yeah, the last time we did something like this, we really took that uh, kind of what we call the American Red approach, where it's going to be more piney and hoppy and more aggressive. Uh, but there is another side to the American Amber Ale, where it can be softer and sweeter, but still showcase American hops in a different way. Uh, so yeah, so this one, um, for
1: our malt of the week to start out with, um, before we get too far into the, uh, hops and yeast, which are going to be a little bit different than you might be used to. Um, we're going to go with some, uh, Cara Vienne.
0: Yeah. So Vienne is really good for getting that base color. Uh, it's also really similar to like a Cara red. And the cool thing about Vienne is it has some of those kind of crystal tones, but with more unique, like fig and date uh, undertones. And then it's also not super sweet, like a pure crystal malt. So it's kind of a hybrid between like a caramel and yeah. a vienna or munich style malt
1: and it will give you a beautiful light red color to the beer as well um which will help kind of um, build that whole amber ale th- um, profile that you're going for uh the one we carry here is from breeze am i correct there yeah we yeah. carry breezes okay. caramel Cre- vienna yeah Cre- breeze caramel vienna um it falls in that range of right around 20 Loba bond, which is where most of them should be. Um, you might see some slightly darker variations of that.
0: Yeah, so you can go ahead and use a slightly higher percentage, maybe up to 20% for this Caribbean. And then if you need to pop that red color a little bit more, maybe hit it with something that's on that darker end of the spectrum, like a tiny, tiny bit of Special B or something, just for some more flavor intrigue.
1: Um, but yeah, otherwise... What's up, it's, Dr. Hans? Otherwise, a very nice malt. Um, you don't have that cloying sweetness that you'll get from a lot of uh, stra- standard crystal malts. Um, So a fantastic substitute if you're trying to do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, Building on that sweetness, let's talk about our hop of the week, because this is actually not a traditional hop that you're going to see in an American Amber.
0: Yeah. So when you're uh, thinking of the hops that you're looking for, you're really going for a subtle hint of citrus, uh, and and pretty much that's what you want. You want the hops to shine and be a little bit bright, but not usually overly aggressive. Uh, This week we're going with Aquanaut, because that also has a little bit of fruitiness and er herbaceousness, herbality. One of those two words sounds like it's real, <laughs> um, uh, but if you use equinot in the right way, that subtle fruitiness that it gets off can actually complement that Caravienne really well and give you a more dynamic beer. Uh, yeah, so you're gonna use this. Um, you're not gonna
1: throw a ton of hops at it like you would with an IPA. Um, so. You know, hopping rates on a five-gallon batch, you're probably going to be shooting in that wheelhouse of maybe two-ish ounces. Um, and uh, one of the nice things about Equinaut is that it does actually have a fairly high amount of cohemulone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a little bit of that cobite, which is um, typical of kind of any American-style beer. Yep. Um, so, you know, things that we always, you know, throw out, things like Centennial, Chinook, and Columbus are really high in that. And that's what gives you that that sort of, like, lingering bitterness. Yeah, that um, extra
0: aggression, assertion. I like to, ca- I, I like yeah. to call it assertion.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's an assertive uh, bitterness, but yep. uh, words are hard. Uh, and anyway, words. as for a little background on Equinot, it is actually a daughter of Warrior, yep. um, turns out, so that explains also why you have that that little bit of Cobite that you'll get from it. Yep, Warrior, um,
0: and then some wild, uh, unnamed hybrid that's probably similar to Warrior, but like a wild Warrior, where it kind of developed some other fun flavors to breed in.
1: Yeah, exactly, um, and this is something that always surprises me with hops, too, Um is how old they are. So we think of even today as, as Equinotis being a, a new Relatively hop. New, yeah. Um, and while it was released in 2014, which is not that long ago, um, it was actually selected out of its breeding program way back in 2003 to actually prop up. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, you'll, That's why you, for a good hop variety, you end up actually paying quite a bit of money for it. Um, And it's not necessarily, I know people kind of are like, oh man, it's trademarked. Why is it so expensive? Blah, 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 this and that. And it's because somebody actually spent 20 years to actually breed and then propagate that hop up to a to a point that they have enough to sell. So
0: although we might be on a weird part of the cycle because I feel like when breeding started to get really popular, everyone was like, Oh new hops, new hops, new yeah. hops. And then now we're realizing how many new hops we're flooded with. And so I think well, I'm hoping that the breeding slows down a little bit. There might be a it might be a little bit too um, ADD for us to deal with when you're trying to put it into all these beers. But yeah. anyways, Equinut, fantastic hop to give it that, that subtle fruitiness, like I said, to balance out the uh, the malt sweetness.
1: Yeah, so I'd probably go maybe a half ounce um, for bittering somewhere in there. and then, Somewhere uh, between
0: two and three ounces on the back end, just to kind of round yep, the whole
1: flavor. Yep, a little 10-minute and maybe a flame-out, something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then our hop... <sighs> wow,
1: wow, I can't spell words today.
0: Yeah, and he's definitely spelling words when he's saying them out <laughs> loud like regular words. Uh, juice, juice, <laughs> juice. Juice is our other hop of the week. Get in juice. Um, no, juice is the yeast. It's from Imperial. It's the same as London Ale 3 and y Yeast, and I have no idea what in White Labs. Uh, commonly used for a lot of hazies, but what a lot of uh-huh. people don't realize is if used correctly, juice use works like a lot of British ale strains where it has a subtle fruitiness and can make some really clear beer.
1: Yeah, especially so for a beer like this, I would actually ferment it on the slightly lower end of the spectrum. I know we fermented it pretty warm, actually. Um... Pushing even above that 70-degree mark in a few cases, Um, and it really pushes through um, a nice um, ester profile that'll complement those fruity hops.
0: Comment below Um, if you know what that is in
1: Celsius. Sure, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so those nice uh, fruity hops in your you know New England style IPAs, uh, but if you ferment this say closer to sixty five somewhere in that range, um, then it should actually stay pretty darn clean for you and uh,
0: and have some great balance. Yeah, too. And,
1: and exactly, and balance out that Caribbean malt, which which you obviously want some kind of presence in an American Amber ale. Yeah. Um, So anyway, I think that sums up our uh, beer of the week. So let's go right on to our topics.
0: And the name of the entire video that we did. We're we're talking today about uh, mash techniques and things that you can do to make sure that your mash is going to be as efficient as possible. uh, Get all the yield that you want off of your mash. uh, And then also be consistent with the flavors and everything that you're getting off your mash.
1: Uh, Yeah. So um, let's go on to our first techniques on how to maximize your mashing um, and uh, and uh, that's going to be understanding liquid flow um, and this is always going to depend on your mash tun shape
0: that's right so your mash tun shape uh, it kind of has two components one is basically whether it's going to be more vertical or whether it's going to be more horizontal and it's just really important to understand what this does to your beer and also in relation to your manifold or where where the water is exiting so you got to think of your mash tun in terms of you have water coming in you have all your grains in between and then you have water coming out uh, so a lot of people that have cooler mash tuns only have a single port or a single point of exit on the bottom of their mash tun, which makes it really difficult for the liquid to flow smoothly through the mash tun.
1: Uh, yeah, so you're going to want to keep that in mind. Um, also keep in mind, you know, your dead space, your uh, did we? Is that we're we talking about the manifold in there? Do we talk? About uh, that yeah, right? we got
0: the manifold up here. Yeah, yep. and then we got the Yeah, we, we can talk about head space into like having a head of water above your grains and all that having a
1: hit of water so all of that affects your mash um and that's something that you just have to you have to keep in mind on how all that's flowing out because really that's gonna um have a big impact on how much sugar you're rinsing out of your grain bed Um, and i think that kind of goes on to our next thing which is a lot of cooler mash tons are actually really inefficient yep right because you're leaving a lot of sugar in that sort of dead space underneath your manifold Um, You might be drilling through your grain bed if you're sparging too fast. And uh, so a lot of cases, um, which people we see not very many people doing, um, batch sparging can actually be more efficient than fly sparging.
0: That's right. Uh, If if you have an inefficient mash tun, uh, I know a lot of people that do have inefficient mash tuns that think that since on the commercial scale, a lot of beer is fly sparged that uh, fly sparging is just the way to go because it's how the big boys do it. However, if, you're, uh, if your mash tun is inefficient, doing a batch sparge actually gives you the opportunity to reinfuse new water into your mash uh, and get a new Vorlov, a new circulation, and then get the majority of that back out when you uh, empty your mash tun.
1: Yeah, I know mm-hmm. that I brewed on um, a couple of actually just like Coleman rectangular coolers, uh, and I found that uh, for... Almost all the beers I brewed, whether I batch sparged or tried to fly sparge, um, I got more or less the same efficiency out of them. And uh, and batch sparging was actually a lot faster to do than than fly sparging, um, which kind of goes into um, fly sparging. And uh, let's talk about how how people often fly sparge way too fast.
0: Yeah, well I guess first let's break down what batch sparging and fly sparging is. So, for those of you who haven't who don't know and I'm assuming most of you do, uh, what we mean by what we mean by fly sparging is letting water run into the top of your mash tun at the same time that you're letting wort flow out the bottom. So you have kind of this equilibrium where there's a little bit of head of water on top of all your grains and then the water that's coming into the top of your grain bed is coming in at the same rate that the water is flowing out of your mash tun. So that's a fly sparge, one fluid mo- motion. With a batch sparge, what we mean is that you're taking all that Liquid that's in your grain from your initial mash, you're running all that out, and then you're in- introducing new water, uh, usually slightly hotter water this time. Uh, you're restirring your mash, and then you're re vorloving or re-recirculating your mash to get that same compression and that same filtration that your grain bed's going to offer you before running that second batch out, which is why it's called batch sparging, and into your kettle. So, uh, so fly sparging. We're talking about that.
1: So yeah, so fly sparging. Um Typically, you'll want to fly sparge for the better part of an hour to to actually completely rinse out your grain bed. And I see a lot of people that will do this in, you know, 15 or 20 minutes and then come in and say, hey, man, my efficiencies are only 65 percent. What's going on? And and what's probably going on is uh, is you're um, either you're not allowing enough time for that water to kind of soak up those residual sugars that are in the grain um, or you're actually doing going so fast that you're drilling holes through your grain bed and you're finding spots in that grain bed that are going to have a little less resistance and you're just sparging right through that same spot instead of having a nice kind of trickle-down effect.
0: Yep. So imagine uh, when you're thinking about how your water is working in your grain, imagine the shape of your manifold or the shape of your false bottom. And you got to understand that there are certain exit points that the water is going down at the very bottom um, before it exits your mash tun. It's either going through a false bottom or it's going up under your manifold and out the, uh, the front port where your wort exits. If uh, the, If the suction power uh, from your siphon and from running off your wort is too fast, then it's going to uh, try to shoot the water that's on top of your grain bed through the mash too quickly, and it'll be inefficient. You'll get channeling, like you said, uh, or even you'll risk a stuck mash um, because uh, of all the compression. That has to do with a lot of other things, but just know that fly sparging is something you should do very slowly. And also another tip for not getting that same channeling and that same potential risk of stuck mash is using... Rice holes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So those are things that, uh, especially in the kind of more vertical systems, the deeper your grain bed, um, the more this becomes um, something that you should be doing on a regular basis, Uh, and that is adding rice holes to the mash. All this is going to do is fluff up the mash. It creates kind of more interstitial space between all the grains so that you don't end up with, you know, a sort of caking effect. Um, which is going to plug up your mash make it so it doesn't drain efficiently
0: yeah it's going to separate those beta glucans and make it so that they don't uh, stick together as much which beta glucans are a part of what create channeling again and then also lowers yeah. your efficiency
1: if if you're wondering what those look like um, when you recirculate your mash on top of it if you see like these like weird kind of like almost looks like somebody poured some uh, uh egg drop flour soup. yeah or egg drop soup or some yeah. flour in there and it's kind of coagulating um, those are all your proteins, all your beta glucans that are that are forming in there, which is a, a good thing It's a natural yeah. thing but uh, but yeah, those are also what are going to really stick up your mash
0: so that's pretty much all we're going to talk to talk about when it comes to the physics of your mash the, yeah. the how the water drains out next we're just going to go into maybe more of the uh, the chemistry of your mash, the biochemistry of your mash. Uh, we're going to talk about things like enzymes and other stuff. so speaking of enzymes, let's start with uh, diastatic power. You need to make sure when you're brewing. Uh, whatever your mash is, that you have either a good range of malts with diastatic power or you have one workhorse of a malt that's giving you all the diastatic power you need for your entire mash.
1: Yeah. So typically this won't be an issue for <clears throat> most beer styles, um, beer styles that have, you know, fairly low adjunct malts in them. Um, you're you're going to have plenty of diastatic power for more or less any base malt. But as you go on to a little bit more specialty styles, you know, that the New England IPAs, like we just talked about, um, that's when you have to start, you know, really thinking about that when you have, you know, say 40 percent of unmalted grains in there um, of how much enzymes you have, whether you need to do a longer mash um, in order to give those enzymes a little more time to work or whether you actually have to add additional uh, enzymes on top of that base malt.
0: Yeah. So uh, first of all, when it comes to, we've said this before, a lot of times when it comes to New England's where your, uh, your adjunct malts, the flake stuff can be a relatively high percentage. We almost always use Heidelberg just as a base because it's so powerful. It has those good enzymes in it and it's a really neutral flavor. So it just kind of tastes good too. Um, but yeah, making sure that you have enough diastatic power on there is really good. And if you're worried, make sure you're taking that extra time and starting on that lower end of the mash temperature spectrum, like Logan was saying. Um, speaking of starting on the lower end of the mash temperature spectrum, <laughs> Is that
1: to me now? Yeah, I was trying <laughs> to. Yeah, you're, you're leading me in. Uh, trying to. Uh, <laughs> yes. Also, um, if you are worried about a beer finishing out, it's always a good idea to, to start on that low end of the spectrum. Um, our usually target is about 145 degrees. Um, that's just going to make sure that um, you're you're taking it easy on your enzymes. Uh, you're. It's about I think 152 or 153 that your beta um, amylase actually starts to denature pretty quickly. Um, And that's kind of why we do that is is that way, um, if we do want to get a full conversion, we're not going to be denaturing that uh, beta amylase. The alpha amylase will still work at those lower temperatures. It'll just take a little longer. Um, But for those of you in the the know-how out there, um, you probably already know that most of those conversions are going to take place within about 20 minutes of your mash rest anyway. Um, So doing that hour-long mash rest, it'll give it plenty of time for both of those enzymes to do their thing.
0: Uh, And if you have the ability, one thing that we like to do is actually ramp our mash temperature during the mash. Um, All this takes with our systems is we run our wort out the bottom of our mash tun. We run it through our wort chiller, actually, which we have stuck in a kettle of nearly boiling water. And so the wort heats up in the wort chiller and then goes back into the top of our mash tun, uh, therefore giving it kind of a, a heating and recirculating effect at the same time. So.
1: Yeah, that if you do have you know a secondary heat source, that's always an option for you. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think, yeah, we just see a lot of people that come in and they're just mashing beers way too high um, and then wondering why their final gravities are so high. And usually it's just because you're not Um, you're, you're mashing too high for that beta amylase. And so you're denaturing it before it has a chance to really break down those long chain sugars.
0: Yeah. Our general rule is if we want thicker beer, we add thicker malts to it. Um, that way. So by mashing low, we kind of cut out the inconsistency of knowing what your mash temperature is doing. We just make sure our mash does as much as possible and then move on. And if we need more body, we add something like chit or oats or whatever. Um, yeah.
1: Jason called you kind of like Irm's. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is exactly, exactly like a herm. We're
0: trying to speak in everybody's terms, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's exactly a herm. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: that's what it is. Uh, um, but it's sort of a it's a, a sort of it's a backwoods style Herms <laughs> Yeah. Without without all the super fancy stuff. It's,
0: it's one that as long as you have a pump and a Wort chiller, you can do. You know, exactly, without but, the
1: fancy system. Yeah, without spending two grand on a, on a <laughs> system that's designed for it.
0: Uh, but speaking of, uh, you know, increasing your mash temperature during the mash, one thing that is really going to help up your efficiency is actually getting a mash out temperature.
1: Uh, yeah. So mash out, the beauty of a mash out, and this is also the beauty, in, in my opinion, of doing a batch barge too, right? Because you can actually do a mash out with your batch barge. Um, And that's just raising that mash temp up to that 170, give or take, degree mark Fahrenheit. Um, And what that's gonna do is it's just gonna allow more of those sugars to be soluble um, go into solution. It's also going to kind of loosen up that grain bed. Loosen um, up that grain bed. And allow everything to just kind of flow out and drain nicely for you.
0: Yeah, think of it like when you heat up honey in the in the microwave or something like that. Obviously, the honey flows a lot better when it's just a little bit warmer. Same kind of thing when you give your mash temperature a couple extra degrees. It gets a lot easier to run it all off.
1: You don't heat honey up in the hot tub?
0: Uh, I don't have a hot tub. Oh. I'm
1: not rich like you, Logan. I don't either. I use my neighbors. They they look at me funny. Well, okay. that's because you use it naked.
0: <laughs> I anyways it's for the honey. <laughs> anyways <laughs> um, so another way to increase your mash efficiency actually is something that not a lot of people do a lot of people you know get their mash in and then they start yeah. recirculating right off the bat actually stirring several times over the course of the first 20 minutes of your mash helps quite a bit
1: yeah so most five gallon mash tons are not going to be very good at holding a specific temperature in any specific spot. Uh, So stirring that mash is really going to keep that temperature a lot more consistent. Um, So you don't have spots that might be down at 140 and other spots that might be at 155. Um, and so that's going to really help, help you just kind of keep a consistent temperature throughout the mash. Um, also, you know, you won't get these uh, spots where, you know, you might have a high sugar content or a high uh, enzyme content if you didn't, you know, mix up your, your base malt and your specialty malts very well. Um, So stirring is never a bad thing to do.
0: Yeah, you're giving your enzymes a boost up basically by making sure they're they're getting in contact with all the bits that they need to get in contact. And then hopefully making sure, like you said, that your temperature is consistent. And a lot of people are afraid to do that because they're like, oh, I'm going to get all these uh, oxidized beta-glucans from my mash. Uh, That doesn't actually happen. And then you can also get a lot of filtration if you just vorl off after that first 20 minutes. Uh, So just recirculate your mash after that first 20 minutes and you'll still get some crystal clear, beautiful wort coming out. Um, let's talk about mash thickness. Somebody already added, or asked a question a little bit about mash thickness, um, and it is dependent. And so we're going to talk about kind of a scenario where you might use a thinner mash and a scenario that you might use a thinner mash, thick, thicker mash. Um, I mash to
1: whatever fits.
0: That's, that's true. <laughs>
1: so, uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously the thick mash scenario is uh, you are brewing a barley wine and it, you have 25 pounds of grain to fit in a 10 gallon vessel, right? right. Um, you're pretty much going to have to do a thick mash, but you also might want to do a thick mash if, again, you know, you have a really high adjunct beer uh, that you're trying to concentrate those enzymes as much as possible. Um, thinner mashes, while, while they can actually make sparging um, a bit easier for you, um, they will dilute your enzymes. So if you don't have a really high uh, high um, enzymatic base malt to work with, um, then you might actually take a little bit longer to get that conversion that you're looking for.
0: Yeah, um, well, I think we had an 800 and something pound grain bill that we tried to fit into a big mash tun that definitely could not fit it. We needed to do a very thick mash, and we also ended up batch sparging that. Um, But one thing that you got to take into account when you're choosing whether to do a thick or a thin mash is the end result of your efficiency and making sure you have enough sparge water. So... On those high-alcohol beers, uh, making sure that uh, your your first your mash that's in there has enough time to do what it's going to do, and then when you run off that mash, there's not going to be very much liquid, and hopefully you saved enough of your sparge water that you can really get those sugars rinsed off. Yeah. Um, because in those high-alcohol beers, it's super easy to leave sugars behind.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna leave some sugars behind regardless, but yeah, you want to try to maximize that as much as possible. I mean, shoot, there's. And that last batch of Count Chocula, it was probably still, you know, 10, 1030 OG that we were leaving in there when we had to cut our, cut our mash. Yep. We still um, got
0: decent efficiency, though. Yeah. But I as mean, when you're talking
1: gonna... about a 10, 1090-something beer, then it's, it's, yeah. it's a little different.
0: <laughs> as, a, as a general rule, uh, um, the, the smaller your beer, the lower alcohol your beer, the thinner your mash is going to be.
1: Yeah. Um, and one thing to consider, though, if you do go super thin, say you're doing like a brew in a bag, um, full volume method. Um, if you're doing a very pale beer, um, you do have to start um, taking into consideration um, your pH. Um, and you're probably, you know, if you're not doing it already, it, that's probably a point where it's a good idea to either add some acidulated malt or, or some kind of an, an acid addition. Um, just so that you're not um, getting that pH too high, because and, and, that will definitely affect your mash, this, uh, mash efficiency. There we go.
0: And we got a couple of people. It looks like talking about uh, beta-amylase degradation. Um, somebody found something that said it denatures at uh, 158. I've seen things that say beta-amylase denatures at up to 160, 165 in that range. Uh, but if you look at the uh, if you look at the curve, it actually denatures surprisingly fast at the lower end of the 150 spectrum. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's a curve. Yeah. It'll too,
1: yeah. yeah it'll start to denature. I think it's like 149 is when it actually yeah. starts. Um, is- but then it just obviously. As you get hotter and hotter, it'll denature faster and faster.
0: Surprisingly, even Uh alpha amylase is denaturing at the same temperature that it's working most efficiently. It's just it's a slower denaturing process. But beta amylase in that higher uh, the study that I read was like it was about eight years ago. It came out and it was just looking at the the amount of beta amylase that was in your mash Uh, if you mash in at 154 uh, and it was like. Within five minutes, it was severely depleted. So yep. it, it does still denature at those lower temperatures, but it'll give you a hard denature point at yeah. That 160. Yeah, I was going to
1: say about 160. Yeah, that's like you said. It's like within a few minutes, yeah. you're pretty much toast. Um, which, if you do want to make, um, you know, you can actually use that to your advantage, too, kind of a side note. But uh, um, say you're brewing um, some kind of a, a true sour, uh, mm-hmm. or I mean, any sour beer actually that you're going to throw some kind of bugs at yeah um I've done that on purpose before um I've done one sixty 160, even one sixty five mashes just to purposely leave um a whole bunch of starches left in there so that the you know whatever Britanamiaces um or other kind of bugs I'm throwing at it have something to chew on You're not open, people.
0: thank you people.
1: <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> It's all right. probably not a real call anyway.
0: It looked like it was an actual cell phone. Oh, weird.
1: Why wouldn't they be calling us at 9 o'clock? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to
0: our uh, um, topic here. He, here's a couple things you can try, actually, with uh, those high-alcohol beers, the beers that might be difficult to get uh, full mash efficiency. There are actually a couple techniques you can use to try to uh, maximize what you get off of, first of all, your high-alcohol mash, and then also maybe get some little extra beer, also on the side.
1: So yeah, the first (coughs) technique to do is gonna be just double mashing, um, which might actually be the only option for a lot of you out there if you have a smaller mash tun and you're trying to brew a barley wine or something of that nature where the grains won't fit in your mash tun. Um, It's perfectly okay to do two separate mashes and then just sparge both of those off into the same vessel. Um, Nice thing about that is that you're probably going to be doing an extended boil anyway. Um, so it's really not going to make your brew day that much longer to basically do a single mash, bring that up to a boil while you're doing your second mash, and then drain that sucker out and boil it even more. So yeah, um, yeah, a couple, couple, even three Howard boil isn't uncommon for something like that.
0: Um, so but, with the double mash, you can definitely increase. as you're just talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely increase your initial alcohol percentage, but you're also going to, or your di- initial gravity going into your kettle, but you're also probably going to have a lot of residual sugars left in your mash. You know, at the end of the day. Um, so, if you don't want to do, I um, mean, you, you'll end up doing a long boil regardless. But if you wanted to do something else with some of the residual worth that you're going to have without necessarily increasing your boil time by astronomical margins, uh, you can also take that out into a party gal. Yeah, I love the
1: party. Guy. Guy. Oh. And that was huh. a great joke. We're yep. so good at <laughs> jokes. Uh, No, I've done this with all kinds of big beers, actually. Uh, Because you have so much sugars uh, left in your fermenter, you can usually actually squeak out a second batch of beer. Um, For a five-gallon batch, I've usually kind of shot for more of like a three-gallon batch as my second batch. Um, You can kind of cheat it by adding some malt extract, too. Um, But a lot of times you can get, um, yeah, either somewhere between three to five gallons by just continuing to sparge of about a 1030 OG beer um so yeah a fine session beer yeah so a little bit of extra sugar you know maybe bump that up with just a pound or two of extract and now now you have a really nice session beer i did uh what did i do oh one of the, like the best schwarz beers i actually ever made was by doing that with a with, oh, a, hi, with yeah. a big old doppelbach yeah so yeah it's it's definitely kind of a really fun thing you can kind of get uh get a little two-for-one special out of that without a lot of extra time investment so
0: yeah Uh, And then we have one more tip for those of you that are trying to get the most out of your mash. This is something that not a lot of people have really experimented with because it uh, kind of seems like cheating or it seems like, I don't know, uncharted territory. It's foreign to people. uh, And that is actually try playing around with added enzymes to your mash.
1: Yeah, so especially the last, I feel like, year or so, all of a sudden there's all these different enzymes that are popping up on the market um, that, you know, different variations of alpha and beta. And shoot, we even got a, a... Beta-glucanase, right? Yep, we got a beta-glucanase. Um, so, yeah, so there's all these different enzymes that that are, you know, becoming available now. And so playing with those in your mash, you know, say say you want to make sure your beer is really clear. We've got
0: beta-glucanase. You can,
1: you know, throw out that and make sure that there's no proteins left in there. And it'll also um,
0: increase your efficiency by making it so that you don't risk channeling as much. Yeah,
1: or you throw, you know, AMG, the same thing that you're um, throwing into a brute IPA. Throw that in, you know, a little bit towards the end of your mash. Um, you can drop those points down. You can end up with a really nice dry beer. You know, you can. Um, that'll end up, you know, not making a full brute because you're going to denature that during the boil. Um, but you know, say you're doing an in big old West Coast IPA and you want to go all grain with it. Um, instead of adding corn sugar, you could actually add a little bit of that, and that'll drop a say 1065, 1070 beer down to like um, 1.006 or something, just crazy low like that. Yeah. So. Um, so there's a few different ways of getting where you want to be. Uh, all right. And, uh,
0: I think, is that it? That's uh, that that's all the, that's all the tips that I had written down for, uh, for the mashing. If you've got any questions on any of those tips or anything aside from that, that you'd like to throw at us, feel free. Uh, do you want to aim for a second topic or just go straight into Q and a,
1: you know, I think there's a lot of questions popping up right now. So we might just have to go straight in the Q and a, All um, right. Q&A time. Yeah, I see people, lots of people. Thank you for uh, commenting, though. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks Everybody for Everybody give in, us guys. a like right now if you're uh, tuned in, by the way. And, uh, yeah, let, let me just uh, cover a up your f- few questions that were thrown out there earlier on in the, in the live stream. I almost said podcast. Yeah, <laughs> It's we, not a uh, podcast.
0: Oh, it's a podcast. Uh, we rip out the audio and turn it into a yeah, podcast. And
1: somebody was asking about uh, Barber Rouge Hops. And oh, uh, yeah. we actually have some of those, and I do not they're not in a beer yet, are they? They're not in a beer yet. Not in a beer yet, but I believe within the next couple weeks, we will actually be putting those in a beer. Um, and then also for the Dill Pickle Beer Challenge uh, with Homebrew for Life, we are doing that. Uh, yes. I have to get some pickles first, though. <laughs> <laughs> or actually make pickles, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I grow a lot of veggies at my house, so I got some dill that I just planted.
0: We're going to get some good garnishes on this guy. It's yeah. Got like to get the garnish on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and then uh, be a great fun question. as a red beer, too, actually. Yeah. A great question, actually, um, was how to fix watery beer. Somebody was uh, mentioned that they did a smash beer. Oh, uh, yeah. And it just turned out, I'm guessing, the body itself of the beer is just very, very thin. Um, but it sounds like it's already in the package uh, and uh, or kegged up, you know. Uh, so the only thing I would say uh, you can. You can blend in a few things afterwards, um, but it is one of the more difficult things to fix on the back end. I know I've had that issue in the past.
0: It kind of depends on the beer. I mean, I think one way to do it would be to just AMG it, just design it down to zero and call it a brute, and Uh, then high carbonate. So then you get the, uh, the texture of the carbonation, but that would depend if it has any flavor to back it up. So you definitely want some sort of hopping structure in there, too. Yeah, Uh, but you can all yeah, like Logan said, you can also blend beers back into it. Um, Sometimes that helps, uh, and then you're saving volume. But I
1: would say that's (laughs) probably the best thing to do is take a beer that's naturally kind of thicker and chewier and actually blend it back in with that one. I know I've tried. um, What is it? I've tried adding like maltose or the maltodextrin, um, which is something that people usually add to beers to give it um, a little bit more body. But they'll typically add that. Um, In the boil boil, yeah Yeah, kind of on the front end of things and i've tried to add that to the back end and it just didn't really work out very well for me
0: maltodextrin also has kind of a flat flavor Um, yeah but there's also one thing that we've used in lieu of maltodextrin to add some thickness and residual sweetness is we've used monk fruit extract or monk monk fruit sugars Uh, that's a non-fermentable it adds sweetness and a little bit of the perception of maltiness to the beer and it does actually give you a little bit more body and head retention as well yeah and
1: i think that's probably between blending it back into beers and adding something like monk fruit um, or even some stevia. I, th- I think, I feel like the monk fruit would actually be better because that monk fruit definitely added body to that yeah. root that we put it in. Um, so that's probably the the best way to kind of attack that. Um, and it sounds like if it's a smash, I feel like that monk fruit would work really well with it. So, um, so yeah, there you go. How to fix a uh, watery beer. Um, all right. What's our next questions?
0: Best jingle ever. Thanks. Frazzled penguin. <laughs> I think we do have, I'm, I'm way up at the top from the beginning of the live stream, trying to scroll through all these. Oh, um, someone mashed up to like 20 or 82 degrees Celsius for a couple. Um, is it going to ruin the beer? It won't entirely ruin the beer. The thing, So a lot of malts actually have a surprising amount of ready-to-dissolve fermentable sugars in them. Uh, that's one of the nice things about highly modified malts these days. So you'll still make beer, but it'll definitely finish thicker. Unless, you, unless 82 is like scorching high, in which case. I don't think that wouldn't be scorching high. Yeah, you're probably fine. Um,
1: Uh, people are talking all about efficiencies on here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 85% is a pretty epic efficiency. Um, I will note on that. Um, we have a lot of homebrewers come in and and talk about these high efficiencies on how they hit 85 and 90% efficiencies. Um, and that is sort of, uh, um, an easily confused topic because uh, there's a lot of different ways to measure efficiency, um, on a commercial scale. Um, we always measure what's called the brew house efficiency, which is... Uh, final
0: I, beer efficiency.
1: Yes, final beer efficiency. So, so that is um, basically you have a set amount of potential sugars in your grains, and it's how much of those potential sugars actually end up in your fermenter and beer wort. And you have losses all the way um, along there. and, and Losses a ver-
0: in your pipes, losses in the bottom of your mash tun, losses yeah. in your fermenter even going into package.
1: Yeah, and I know on homebrew scale the best i have ever done i think was was in about that 85 um, oh. percent and that was from uh, a decocted beer that was planned on only being about four and a half percent there's basically no way you're going to hit that if uh if you're doing any kind of ipa just because your hop absorption itself Will probably be about ten percent losses. Yeah. So, so that that's why. Uh, so, so there is something to be said with that. You know, kind of the caveat with somebody comes bragging about super high efficiencies. Um, if you're if you're doing it right, um, anywhere between seventy and eighty percent is usually what you you see. Um, I personally, I know I focus on. I don't really care about getting a high efficiency so much as getting a consistent efficiency, because uh, that's one thing that uh, will drive me nuts. Is if I'm planning on something that's one gravity, and it comes out either way low or way high.
0: In which case, you add more water. Yep. Um, Hells Brew says, cheers, super hungover today. Right there with you, buddy. (laughs) Go ahead and slam a morning chug for us. Actually, or watch last week's live stream where we talk about curing a hangover. Yeah, there you (laughs) go. Uh, Uh, Also, everyone go subscribe to his channel right now. (laughs) Have we brewed with a new Samba hot blend from BSG? No, but I was looking at that, and I plan on maybe bringing it in but maybe not expensive. We, yeah. Why is it that expensive? expensive? It was like, yeah, it wasn't terrible. <laughs> it's like in the <laughs> Citra expensive range, uh. not in the galaxy expensive range. Um, but yeah, I, I'm also hesitant to bring in hops unless people are already asking for them to buy, just because we have tons of hops here and it's yeah. hard to get through them all. Uh, see, Stackhouse
1: is uh asking about uh doing a coconut lime Berliner with uh K97, but he's rethinking about, doing the uh, Voss strain from uh, for a Quike. Uh, and I think either way, actually, you should be you should be all right there.
0: The Voss fruitiness will definitely kind of help punch up the liminess, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then you're kind of sweetening it with the coconut. So you should be fine there. It's going to be – there's a lot of flavors going on. Um, definitely the more consistent and malt-leaning flavor would be if you use the K97. Yeah. Um, give you that nice fluffiness. But uh, I could see it either way. Two, two different beers, but two beers that could both – potentially be good.
1: And I I think one tip I will give you there is uh, we've been playing with um, a fairly new hop variety called Sabro. um, And I feel like regardless if you did a moderate um, dry hop, you know, maybe just an ounce or two for a five gallon batch of Sabro at the end might actually really pump push through that coconut profile because I, that hop yeah. comes across really coconutty. I
0: love dry hop sours just in general. I think it's a phenomenal way to give balance to the beer. Uh, and then Sabro is just one of those hops. that's going to really, really come across pungently. It does. It works out well in the dry hop. Yep. Um, so. Someone said, suggesting that we do a uh, flame out slash whirlpool with Ella and galaxy. We have both those hops in stock right now. So that might happen soon. Ella and galaxy. Those are random ones. Yeah. The uh. Uh, Aussie, the Australian, yeah, Definitely Ella, correct form, formerly
1: Stella, which I was kind of bummed about because eh, that's eh, my dog's eh, name.
0: Eh, eh,
1: eh. <laughs> actually, that's a, that is a good hop, honestly. Um, <clears> Ella <throat> is a good hop, uh, but I usually use it in, like, traditional pilsners and stuff. Yeah. No. Hence Speed.
0: probably why they had change to change
1: up. the name, actually. Stella Artois was probably like, what are you guys that's doing? That's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, they were that's like, exactly hey, guys. exactly what happened, yeah. Hey Stella
0: Artois was all like, hey, you're stealing my name for your but, hop. Yeah. You can't do that.
1: They're like we actually use your hop, but <laughs> wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, because uh, um, it is a, it is a high alpha, right? Uh, Stella wouldn't. Stella wouldn't use Ella hops. Yeah, that's way too expensive. That's true. Um, someone's talking about juice being a finicky yeast. Turns out Imperial recommends extra oxygen. Nice. Yeah, uh, we use oxygen in all our beers. So
1: yeah, we've. I don't know that I've ever actually had an issue with juice stalling out on me. Yeah. Um, it's it's usually pretty consistent.
0: But we, uh, uh, we, we take really good care of our yeast. That's like the number one thing that we will tell everyone to do every single time is do yeah. everything possible to take care of your yeast. So uh, I know yeah, it had I, was like a, I know a lot of people direct pitch or like try to direct pitch, and so if you direct pitch, then maybe that might be why you have different experiences with juice than we do. But we've it's been super consistent for us.
1: Yeah, we also ferment on the little bit higher side. Um, I do know that one does like the <coughs> higher temperature. So if you do end up kind of like we suggested for the amber on the ale. lower, yeah, if you yeah, ferment if it on the
0: lower end, then you gotta you gotta do some coaxing. Yeah, you, you, might, yeah you
1: might want to still, I would just say, you know, still ferment it for, you know, your your four or five days. Once it gets through the, the bulk of that, then maybe raise it up to 70 just to make sure that she doesn't uh, stall out on you. So,
0: um, all right. Someone's uh, saying he doesn't oxygenate juice and still been working good for him. Yeah. I think it's a good yeast. All right, st- lots of stuff coming in.
1: Have we fermented in the mash and boil any issues uh, while doing this? We uh, did a uh, we ferment
0: did. with uh, – we have that on video, actually. Yeah, we've we done did a, kettle sour, a kettle sour one. It's like a 24-minute video where we kind of walk through a kettle souring process that we did on the mash and boil, yeah. and that was a fantastic beer. We, um,
1: we also fermented the, uh, the Stein beer in there, too, because remember we left the rock yeah. in. And well, that was and in and the, and the anvil, was but, yeah, same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. hell? Uh, yeah, we had Tim clean out a, one of them and we forgot there was still a rock in there. It was, it was a fun surprise for him. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, it works really well. I, there's, there's no issues at all with, especially cause those have a little bit higher volume. Um, the only thing I would say is, you know, treat them like a bucket fermenter. Don't let beer sit in there for too long. Um, I know for like that Stein beer, we gave it, I don't even think it was a week. I think it was five or six days. Um, when it was, more or less slowed down bubbling we got it right into a, a corny keg and then let it condition in that keg so yeah um yeah just don't leave it sit for too long you know i wouldn't i wouldn't go like a you know three or four week fermentation and i'm just and that again is just because of the head space in there you end up getting yeah. sucked back and they, yeah they
0: might not be a hundred percent airtight i'm not a hundred i'm not sure i know you can uh, distill in them yeah. so maybe but yeah the mash and boils i would i would try to use a, a fermenter when it or a, yeah an actual fermenter whenever possible yeah. Just, if nothing else, to keep them easier to clean for your next brew.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah, because they are kind of a pain in the butt to clean sometimes.
0: Some people be doing overnight mashes. We do overnight mashes a lot, actually. We do. Um, uh, That's one of the ways we ramp. We'll, like, mash in at 145 or even lower, and then we'll just throw it through the the Herms coil that we were telling you guys about earlier and then come back the next morning and have, like, two halves of a brew day, which is a lot more manageable when you're running a full-fledged business at the same time.
1: Michael Bowman is uh, asking about the efficiencies of the bruna basket systems, and um, our experience <coughs> is that they tend to be on the low side. They do tend to be nice and consistent, though, especially the ones yeah. with the pumps on them. Um, when that's you're doing
0: high ABV ba- beers, then they, the efficiency really drops out. Yeah. Um, for low ABV beers, I think they work fine, cause especially if they've got a recirculation system. Yeah. For um, high
1: ABV, ABV beers, um, you definitely have to do extended boils with them. Um, and again, I think that's just I think that's more a volume and low boil off rate than anything else. Um, but yeah, we've had, uh, they, they seem to be, yeah, I would say right around that 70 sev- a little bit higher than 70% um, for most efficiencies that we're getting out of them. Um, and that'll vary a little bit depending on your batch.
0: Someone is asking thoughts on using a brew in a bag, uh, as an additional filter for an igloo cooler, uh, worth it or unnecessary slash harmful. If you already have a false bottom, I would say that's harmful slash unnecessary. If you don't have a false bottom, then you should be planning to batch barge with that. In which case it could work. I've seen it done. Yeah. now I'm just out the regular, I know somebody who never even built a mash done. He just uh, had an igloo cooler that was an igloo cooler and he, uh, brew in a bagged it and then just, uh, went out the regular little button port on the front and yeah, that works. But yeah. you got to batch barge if you do that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, because you'll get super, super crazy channeling <coughs> um, if you don't have some kind of manifold or false bottom.
0: Yeah, just the way it flows is going to be very, very impeded.
1: Um, Zappa hops. Ooh, I have not even heard of Zappa hops until hey, now. I have. I haven't yeah. bought them yet. Surprising, right?
0: There's something I haven't bought what? yet. What? Oh, no great. There's, thanks. Now there's another <laughs> thing Peter's going to buy. <laughs> uh, Frazzle Penguin, you mentioned fly sparging over an hour if you have a robo brew and keep a half-inch layer of water on top while sparging at that rate. It takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, should I try to slow that down? Not sure how. No, uh, I think you're, I think you're fine. A lot of those vertical brew systems are actually really difficult to get a slow uh, slow uh, fly sparge. We actually kind of just let them drain and then pour a bunch of water over them. Yeah, we, those we do ones, that.
1: there's not yeah. really a way to, to manage it. So
0: We know we're gonna lose efficiency on it. Um, yeah, that's mostly for if you have like a three vessel system that we say that, that our fly um, sparge system is gonna work. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: Oh, here we go. Roger is asking about uh, the olive oil conundrum. Oh, that's a myth. Uh, Yeah, that is actually a myth. Um, It's...
0: Uh, So it's supposed to have, so basically what it has is the (laughs) the same thing that creates uh, cell walls. So yeast basically can only create new cell walls or create new yeast uh, under the presence of oxygen because there's a compound that's created very early on during what's called lag phase. That same compound is very, very high and potent in olive oil. However, in olive oil, they're inaccessible. Olive oil will not oxygenate your beer or substitute for oxygen. Yeast does not actually like oil, so... Don't do it. Yeah. And I, I want to say. It, I mean, originally, it worked in theory, but not yeah, in practice. Yeah, well, and I want to say, <laughs> like, call me
1: out on this, but somebody actually sat down and did the math because of that, the insolubility of it. And so you don't have the, the yeast can't get to it. And so, in order to put enough that you would have it actually dissolve to where the yeast could get to it, um, it was like it was some um, ridiculous amount, like several ounces in there to the point where it would completely ruin your beer. So. Um, yeah, that that was kind of uh, the, the whole thing with that, where it's like, hey, look, I did some numbers, but in reality, it doesn't doesn't work out that way. So,
0: um, Just don't use it. Yeah. Uh, Someone's saying they used a uh, first running for a, dar- and a dark beer to make a porter, and the second as a mild. That is a great idea. We love milds. Yeah. They taste awesome.
1: I do love milds.
0: Um, someone has been using amyloguclose to add to the sacbrett lacto-fermenter to bottle in six days. Damn! Damn! That sounds dangerous, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Hand, excited hand, to handle bottles with care. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. yeah there's going to be a lot of precursors uh, that there are a lot of things that your Brett can ferment that are surprising. They're not sugars. So they're not really going to add to your gravity, but that Brett will keep fermenting stuff in the, uh, um, in the bottle. So yeah, hopefully it tastes good though. Looks, that's one of the things like, I don't, I haven't tried that. So I don't know, but that sounds like it'd be fun
1: yeah um somebody's asking about idaho seven and uh how to best use it i mean any hop forward beer um it's it's a great balanced hop um nothing that like really jumps out that's like oh yeah this screams this that or the other thing um but yeah it's just a really nice balanced hop i think it'll actually work well in a in a smash you'll you'll learn a lot about it and that'll let you kind of you'll probably want to add more hops to it in the future but it'll let you learn really the profile of it so um, as for Chris is saying that he got pretty low efficiencies with brewing in a bag, only 50 to 60%. Um, and I think kind of like we mentioned earlier, um, that's probably an enzyme dilution rate issue. Um, so you're either going to have to kind of do a longer mash rest um, or actually add a few extra enzymes to that.
0: Yeah, or just so. do a lot of stirring. Yeah, More certain than you think you need. But yeah. basically what he's saying with uh, en- uh, enzyme dilution is there's too much area for the enzymes to swim around in. So they're not getting to the sugars fast enough. Um, basically, it's taking too long for enzymes to go from one yeah. sugar chain to the next sugar chain, which really, really slows down that efficiency.
1: Yeah. you. A lot of times you'll get low efficiency for at least higher, higher gravity beers with brewing a bag. Um, but yeah, 50 percent. You should definitely be getting. You should still be getting in that at least I would say sixty five percent, I think is the lowest I've ever gotten. Um with that said, I've hit like on a I think it was like an English mile that was doing all gray, and I think I hit almost like eighty percent or eighty one percent. Um so yeah, that's gonna depend a lot on the beer. That might make sense if you're doing a brew in a bag for like a barley wine, but that's probably not the best uh best method for a style like that anyway. Uh,
0: crap, there's a lot of comments. Dang. I'm just people. like just now getting down to something. <laughs> okay
1: uh uh dark sours uh yes uh, malt, love dark sours uh miles to pair with the brett strain uh special b is your friend uh yeah for something like a sour because it's gonna any any sweetness that that might have is definitely gonna like destroy that with brett and uh yeah so yeah special b um maybe don't, some chocolate wheat something that's maybe familiar. yeah i was gonna say don't get <coughs> too aggressive on the roastiness just because it might come through like way too much but yeah
0: yeah because it's going to dry out and so those roast flavors are going to pop a lot i, I really like chocolate weed especially yeah. in sour beers because chocolate wheat is naturally fruity and it still has that chocolate tone without any of the uh, assertion of a roasted barley or a black malt or even carafa it's way the uh it's way fruitier and sweeter nice. than that oh simon says
1: he won a uh, beer competition with the stella galaxy com- combo congrats Very nice.
0: Um, Zachary Johnson says he's brewed probably six batches. Uh, Before he started brewing, he had drank quite a bit of high-quality beers and having issues liking his own. That's not uncommon. Um, Anything that he thinks uh, we think would help him make better beer. Uh, So watch our five tips videos and make sure that you're doing all that. Yeast health is the number one most important thing. That said, uh, depending on the styles of beers that you're making, equipment actually can play a pretty big role. Um, But you can make... You can make really good beers on cheap equipment. You just got to make the beers that are right for the equipment that you have. Um, that's a much much longer topic, but yeah. hopefully that helps at least a little bit and you know let you know that uh, you know there's still a chance. Perfect. Um, Kevin Rabe says his beers have been slightly astringent. How do I fix this? Um, that kind of depends on where the astringency is coming from. Uh, a lot of times, I've seen the most common astringent flavor comes from hops. Um, there also can be astringency that can come from polyphenols. i was gonna um, say water might be another thing. Yeah, water source. Um, if you're just look, looking to mask it, just brew sweeter beers. But uh, the, yeah. the better way to do it is to try to look into the what w- why it's astringent. Is it astringent because of a lot of plant material or hops that are in there? Is it astringent like a, like if you were to bite on a bandaid or a piece of piece of plastic, kind of astringent? Um, is it like sucking on a tea bag? Yeah, is it sucking on a teabag, which is tannic astringent? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of... That's <laughs> that's
1: tricky. That's an open-ended one there for sure. Uh, somebody's talking about
0: sapwood cellars. Um, I'm looking for a mash tun for step mashing for sours. Any ideas? Should I go old school with strainer, plate, and kettle? So other than the kind of pseudo-Herm system, the janky way that we were describing earlier in this uh, live stream, just something like a mash and boil or a robo-brew or an anvil foundry that has the pump and recirculation yeah. kit, that's the easiest way to be able to do step mashes. Step mashes, yeah. And they're really really—they're really neat, simple systems, so I endorse them.
1: Hmm. Otherwise, you know, you can kind of decock some stuff, too. That just takes more time and is a pain yeah. in the butt to clean up.
0: <laughs> if you want to spend 10 hours on a brew day, then I totally recommend <laughs> decoction. <laughs> it does darken the living daylights out of a beer. Uh any uh, items that we would recommend adding to the mash rather than the boil or fermenter to get the desired flavors flavors things like fruit purees uh, or other flavoring agents Uh, there are some things that we do add to the mash um and so it's going to be mostly starchy things uh mangoes can actually go really well in a mash but leaves a lot of the flavors of mangoes behind Um, mangoes actually also have enzymes that help break down grains uh, and they can give kind of a soft profile to the overall thing but you won't taste mangoes if you want to get flavors off of fruit and stuff the easiest way to do it is to add it post-fermentation
1: Ooh peach puree in a wheat beer.
0: Sounds delightful?
1: Yes. Uh, how much though? That is the question. Um, how much flavor do you want? Uh, peaches are pretty, pretty mellow. so I would say more than you might think. Um, actually I'm trying to think of like volume versus weight. Um, probably like I want to say half gallon. Would be like a good starting point. I'd Not do
0: doing pounds. Yeah, uh, yeah Whatever, a half gallon would definitely, definitely be pounds. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's a uh, yeah somewhere between a quart and a half gallon. It's probably depending on where the puree comes from. That's probably gonna be anywhere between three and six pounds. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so yeah, generally more than than you might think, just 'cause peaches are gonna be very subtle. Um, if you're going for that subtle character, though, then yeah.
0: Um, I'm finally down to the coconut Berliner comment.
1: Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Yeah, peach puree is a tricky one because I, I have not used it um, before, but I do know peaches come across pretty subtly um, in a beer. So, Definitely. How
0: efficient is using the brew-in-a-basket system like Clawhammer with recirculation of the wort during the mash and no sparge at the end compared to using a cooler mash tun? depends There's a lot of techniques you can do to make those kind of systems work. I haven't used yeah. the brew-in-a-basket system that Clawhammer has, but I'm assuming it's similar to a lot of the uh, coffee can-style systems we've got, like the Anvil. Um you can definitely make them work and make them just as efficient, but uh, in general, they're going to be a little bit less efficient than something like a three-tier system where you've got a cooler uh, sparge or a hotwood liquor tank and a brew kettle. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, somebody's getting... Uh Getting uh, some serious blow-off, it sounds like, from uh, from a yeast that they've harvested up from five generations. Oh, nice. Fun facts. When you harvest your yeast, you end up with more cells than what you started with. <laughs> <laughs> That'll definitely blow some tops. I've done that before where I keep a starter going,
0: and then my starter blows up on me, and it's like, dang it. MJ here. Uh, Gerhaje one he said, it's MJ. I'm guessing that's for Michael Johnson. I'm assuming Michael Johnson watches our live streams. Uh, says, any plans for another product review of a cheap Amazon slash eBay brewing product? I loved the last one. We do have plans to do that, but we don't know the timeline. We've got a, a list of videos we've got to get done first. So we're kind of figuring that out. I would say it's probably not going to come within the next month or two. After that, probably soon. Yeah. Ooh, here's a good question. Um, So Frazzled
1: Penguin's asking about um, using the beer softwares and their sparge water calculators. And uh, what I would say, so your equipment is almost always going to be different than what they originally calculate. Um, With that said, choose some some simple beer, um, Amber Ale, American Pale Ale, Um some beer that's kind of got a lot of wiggle room. I like the
0: embryo You should do an embryo with (laughs) Caravan, Equinot, and Juicy.
1: Some beer that's got a a lot of wiggle room for, you know, your kind of volumes and efficiencies. Um and then uh what I've done when I'm dialing in at least a new a brand new system that I'm getting set up is uh is basically do what they suggest the very first time and just follow that to a T and then just take notes of everything that's going on and then what, you're end up, what you end up with volumes and efficiencies with at the end of the day, and then go back and adjust those calculations um, for whether you overshot or undershot things.
0: It's important to note that what Logan is suggesting you do and what Logan actually does are two completely different things. Hey, I used to do that. <laughs> His first time on a system, he's like, ah, that looks about right. Let's just go for it. <laughs>
1: Well, that's just because now I'm a savant, so it's not my fault. That's true. They
0: they do they do come a little bit <laughs> you, easier. You these kind of are too. Uh, <laughs> when you do this stuff enough, when you've brewed literally thousands of We're, beers before, when you can when you can eyeball 200 <laughs> gallons and be like,
1: "Oh yeah, look at that! I was off by like five gallons. Sweet."
0: <laughs> I still can't believe we got did so good on that giant Count chocolate mash. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, 850 pounds will totally fit. We'll make this happen. Ugh. Literally to the brim with the exact right <laughs> mash temperature.
1: All right. You had to put, like,
0: a double elbow thing. That was <laughs> – <laughs> we had to cheat it a little bit. And uh, it was awesome. <laughs> um, have we looked into systems – I don't know if that's – oh, that's Jeff. Okay. Not talking to me. Cool. Uh, mostly do full volume sparge. Me 427 smash super woody. Fun experiment, but maybe not our favorite beer. Time to add strawberry syrup. I don't know, Hayden. You should probably bring me a bottle and let me know. We just got <laughs> in some 427. I'm uh, excited to try it.
1: K. Barry is asking about uh, whether you can double crush for doing a brew in a bag. Um, you can. It shouldn't really be necessary, though. I know a lot of people ask for a
0: double crush. Yeah, but I mean, it depends it, on your mill, honestly. Yeah,
1: if you've got your mill dialed in, then you really shouldn't have to double crush.
0: I should add that we have a three roller mill. So
1: yeah, that, I was gonna say, sir, so it's kind of getting double, oh, excuse me, crushed anyway. So yeah, um, but yeah, no, that shouldn't really affect anything. Yeah, you'll get a little bit of um, bits that kind of fall down through the through the bag, but I haven't ever, you know, had, noticed when I've done brewing a bags any kind of like negative impacts from from grain material. So um yeah oh yeah there you go and chris already answered it depends on your bag yeah yeah um if it's a
0: super super thin bag then maybe avoid that or a super fine mesh i mean
1: yeah yeah just because it might stick up in there
0: dr han says he doesn't like galaxy that's blasphemy i don't actually don't mind that you don't like galaxy (laughs) we're about to do we have a video uh slated for what was it five hops that are better than galaxy Coming out soon. Oh, yeah. We, we shot that, and it was not very good. Yeah, we shot it, and the audio was ter- ter- terrible. It was great content, but now we need to redo that video. <laughs> so comment what you think your favorite hop that's not Galaxy is, that you would spend literally half the price as Galaxy on. <laughs> Galaxy is so expensive right <laughs> it now. It is
1: stupidly expensive.
0: Uh, uh, washing and reusing yeast. Tips on how many times you would do that and when to toss. 9% ABV beer and dry hopping beers is dry hopped beers is tossing yes if you're doing high alcohol beers it's not a good growth medium if you're doing super hoppy beers it's not a good growth medium Um, what we like to do is we like to plan out two or three batches in a row Uh, we usually don't try to push it more than that we'll actually literally plan out a step up so we'll do a light beer a medium beer and then maybe one really high alcohol beer after we've grown a ton of yeast Uh, after that we really don't want to stress it too much and yeast is relatively cheap so it's really not that big of a deal yeah Uh, again take care of your yeast and don't risk things
1: uh, Michael is asking about how the alpha and beta amylases influence beer and whether that's something to be worried about and to monitor. Um, and I would say, you know, it's, we, we did, we actually did a video a while ago on this, but, um, but in a nutshell, um, if you mash high, you are going to end up with a beer that finishes high. So you're going to end up with a lower alcohol beer. If you mash low, you're going to end up with a higher alcohol beer per the same grains, Um, and, uh, it doesn't seem to affect body as much as everybody will tell you, um, your body's kind of more or less there regardless. Um, so yeah, that's why we tend to just shoot on the lower end of the mash and then build up that body with, with whatever malts we're putting in the beer.
0: Yep. So, um, do we, do we ramp up fermentation temperatures for all yeasts? We do it pretty consistently for most yeasts. And so uh, what we'll do is we'll kind of start on the lower end, uh, make sure we've got a really healthy pitch. So it takes hold, um, if it's a finicky yeast, like it might f- like to fall asleep, sometimes we'll start kind of in the medium high range and then drop the temperature during fermentation. But at the end of fermentation, almost all the time we let it go up to a temperature that's gonna make sure that we don't get any VDKs. Uh, that's like diacetyl or five uh, 1,5-pentanediol. Um, uh, and then also just to make sure that we're finishing out uh, fermentation on a schedule. So a lot of times if you don't do that ramp up, you'll end up with just a slightly extra sweet beer um, just because it didn't have time or the energy in the system to finish out. Um, that said, if you've got a really strong workhorse of yeast, a lot of times it doesn't need it, but we do it on most of our yeasts.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's certain strains that that just go bonkers and are done super fast and other strains that definitely need a little bit more love. Zaka, nice. Strata. Strata is the one we haven't used a lot, actually. W- we should use that more. We've got it. I've bought it. Um, well, um. All right. Good old Cascade Centennial. Somebody's going after my heart. The old school hops. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Columbus Cascade
0: Centennial. I was like, yeah. I think I think Columbus is still it. my favorite hop. Columbus is probably one of my one of my favorite hops. I use, I always say it's my favorite hop. I don't know if it actually is, but yeah. I just refuse to say one of the new superfruit hops but, is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but superfruit, it sells. All right. Well. Thank you for everyone for tuning in today. I think uh, it's about time to uh, say goodbye for the week. I don't
0: see any more uh, questions popping up. There's probably – oh, uh, some of that's a, if we do a raw NEPA, no-boil mash only.
1: Budweiser mashes for three hours apparently. I'm sure Budweiser's adding enzymes too. <laughs>
0: uh, doing a raw New England IPA is possible. Not easy, but possible. Yeah. And actually, there's a brewery locally that does it a lot. Big oh, um, Mount Hood. All right. That's a random one. Yeah. All right. right. Yeah, it looks like we've got, I know there's probably some questions that we missed, but please tune in to next week's live stream. It is time for us to start working on getting open. Um, So, you know, we've got to actually run a business here. And uh, if you haven't already, please uh, see there's 160 of you out there. Please hit that like button for us. Make sure we get this uh, video a lot of likes, because that helps the video go farther and helps us out a little bit. Um, And yeah, tune in next week. We do this every single week at 845 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, and we talk about some cool stuff. Pacific we get to hang standard out with you guys. Time. Yeah. Oh, Pacific standard time. <laughs> no, eight forty-five. whatever time you're at, whatever time you'll find a video. Subscribe to our channel. If you guys are out uh-huh. there enjoying our content right now, please give us a subscribe to the channel. We like to get those little boosts. It helps us quite a bit. Um, and then, uh, uh, CH from homebrew for life wants to do a sub war first to a hundred K. So we've got to win.
1: All right. Yeah. We're, we're going against them. Everybody give a like right now. I see there's still 160. You tuned in. So, uh, Thank you all for watching today as usual. Always a great conversation to have. We'll see you next week.